amazing. There we go. Hey, good to see you all. I'm Jen Mangloss. I'm the associate pastor here at Bethany Ballard. Really glad to have you worshiping with us today. And uh, in case you didn't know, it's, it's Halloween. And uh, we have a couple people dressed up. I'm a little sad we didn't have more, uh, more costumes, but I do see, I see you all out there, so thank you for that. I wanted to wear a costume today, and I was considering it, and then I went, yeah, probably not a good idea if I'm the one giving the sermon. But I was telling my friend Dee about this, and she was talking to her grandson, who's like around eight or nine, um, and telling him about my predicament. Like, I love Halloween, but she's preaching. And, and he told her, and she texted me this later and told me, that uh, I can go as a sinner, and then I don't need a costume. So here we go. <laughs> Which I went, man, that's a pretty sick burn for an elementary school kid. Um, but thankfully, Jesus sees me as redeemed. And, and isn't that true for all of us? So that's good news. But uh, I actually think it's timely because today we're talking about confession. And some of you just got really nervous there. And um, it's okay. We're just going to have you come up one at a time. And you're going to give your deepest, darkest confession. Why are you laughing? <laughs> we're not going to do that. So you can exhale. <sighs> It's okay. But we want to talk about this today because we're in this series called One Another's. And, uh, and we're talking today about confessing to one another. So uh, this series has been looking at the Bible's call for us as followers of Jesus to offer love, service, forgiveness to each other. We're going to continue on for the next couple weeks to see other ways that we are called to be in each other's lives. But uh, this life with Christ isn't just a me and Jesus thing. It's a me and Jesus and all of you thing. Uh, and I love that we get this time to focus on that because in the world we're in right now, the idea of living with one another, loving one another, I feel like we're all needing to relearn that again. So I love that we get to sit with this for the next few weeks. Um, but one of the greatest commands Jesus gave, um, he offered this new command to his disciples right before he died, and it was love one another. And so out of the love we have for one another, we serve one another forgive one another, seek peace out with one another, and confess to one another. Um, so we're going to look at that today, but we're going to look at some of the distortions we may have adopted along the way. But first, how about we pray? Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, uh, you don't see us as we see ourselves. You see us as beautiful. Thank you for that is the truth. And Lord, may that be the truth that we live out of today. Amen. So, uh, some of you may have read your Bible a little bit throughout the last few years, throughout your life. Some of you may have been in church around a few, uh, church a few times. But uh, this idea of confession might not be a new one to you. And confession, uh, if you look up the word, it can mean owning up to a particular sin. And that's usually the definition we jump to when we hear the word confession. Like, in my mind, I always hear someone going, Confess! Um, but this word also has some more depth of meaning. It can actually just be a declaration of a truth, such as if I go out and proclaim Jesus is Lord, I am confessing what is true. Um, so this word literally means to acknowledge or agree fully, to confess, profess, or promise. So there's a lot of depth of meaning in this word. But more than what it is, I think it's helpful for us to look at a bit of why we confess. 1 John 1, 8-9 has some helpful guidance for us. If we claim to be without sin, we receive or deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
So three quick things to notice. We confess because we do sin. Um, I'm sorry if that's a newsflash for you, but we do. We've messed up. We still make mistakes. Um, and if you say you haven't made any mistakes, you're in denial. Um, whew, that's a hard truth for, truth for a Sunday morning, isn't it? But there's more news, so it doesn't stop there. We confess so that we can be forgiven. Jesus wants to offer us forgiveness from our sins. And we confess so that we can be set free from, like, the brokenness of sin. You know, there's freedom in the truth. And when we confess, we tell the truth about ourselves and the truth that we need God's help. Jesus said in John 8 that the truth will set you free. So this is why we enter into this process of confession, to be forgiven, to be set free, to live differently. So in confession, we come to God. We speak the truth of what we've done, and we receive forgiveness. But confession doesn't stop with God, which brings us to our first distortion. Confession is just between God and me. So it is between God and me, but it doesn't stop there. So uh, let's look at James 5, 13 to 16. And we'll have this on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. But, uh, and this is our core passage for today. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, so in light of everything that's just been said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I love this set of verses. Like for years, it's just been one of my favorites. Um, and here's the deal. Forgiven is forgiven. But I feel like Jesus at, is spurring on the church with this verse to say, like, yeah, like, I mean, it's done. Like, when Jesus died on the cross, that's it. We're, it's done. We're forgiven. But there's something good for us in the act of confession. But James here, he names these situations, these realities we might encounter in church. Troubles, joy, sickness, things we all probably live with on a daily basis to some extent. And he presents them in the context of church community. And by naming these realities, he kind of normalizes them. Like, hey, some of you are going to show up today in deep sadness. Maybe someone's feeling deeply sad today. You're welcome. Maybe you're feeling really joyful. You are so very welcome. Maybe you're angry today, in turmoil, broken and confused. You're so welcome here, just as you are. And James says this is all welcome in the church. So it's not about shoving down uh, what's really going on in your life and presenting a pretty picture. I used to work at Starbucks in college, and our manager would always say, like, when you wash your hands, you leave everything here when you, before you go out on the floor. And in some ways, that's a good practice for being at Starbucks. But when we're at church, we can show up that way. But I think there's a different invitation here. It's to maybe wash our hands, because washing our hands is a good thing. But it's showing up in the truth of who we are. It's showing up honestly and confessing our need. But not just that, we actually have a role to play in how God brings about healing in our lives. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So it's not just about a private individual confession with you and God, although that's important. And it's more than confessing to those who you've harmed and injured. Also really good and important. But James is charging us to bring these confessions into our church community. When I say church community, I mean, like, this space right here. All of us together, we are the church. Um, 
to let others into what's really going on in our lives. And here's the deal. The thought of this can be really uncomfortable, right? Like, I don't know if I want everyone to know what's going on in my life. Uh, but there's a gift here. Because when we start to get honest with someone else, the byproduct is a deepening relationship. Uh, the theologian Karl Barth says that when we confess our virtues, we are competitors. When we confess our sins, we are brothers and sisters. So today, we are brothers and sisters, friends, not because of the virtues we bring here, but because of our brokenness. Uh, we don't exist independently of each other, but rather together as a family, God's family. Uh, last June, I turned 40, and I had a handful of friends come into town. And as I was preparing this week, I was reflecting on the experience and remembering that some of those friendships for me started 20 years ago, and they were the first people I started to confess to that I started to get real about my brokenness in my life. We'd gone through this class together on relational healing, and two of us started, uh, the three of us started meeting together regularly. So every week, we'd get together, we'd talk, we'd talk about how we struggled to receive the love of Jesus, how we struggled to give love to other people. We got real. There was a lot of tears, a lot of crying, and a lot of Nutella. Um, <laughs> but thinking back on those relationships, I go, wow. These are some of the closest relationships in my life because we confess to each other. There was something incredibly freeing for me when I realized that I wasn't the only one who was a mess. And because of that, they became family to me, and they're still family to this day. We need God. That's a truth, right? We need God, but we also need each other. And uh, this truth actually this the fact that we need God in each other, directly challenges our next distortion. So distortion number two is, I am the only one who can deal with my sin. So this distortion whispers that we have to deal with our problems on our own. That is not true. Um, I had a professor in seminary, and she was always very direct when it came to the lies we often believe. And so her phrase for this was, kick it in the teeth. Like, that's a lie, kick it in the teeth. There was no messing around with Betsy. Um, when she encountered lies, she called them out. Um, and I kind of feel similarly, like, yeah, you don't have to deal with your sin on your own. Kick that lie in the teeth, or whatever other phrase helps you get that clear. But um, this is why God gathers his people together in a church. So you don't have to do it on your own. And you actually can't do this on your own. Um, the fact that Jesus came kind of depi um, infers that, oh, we couldn't figure out our sin problem on our own. So we need God and we need each other. But we resist, right? Uh, this is not a surprise to any of us. I think we all know, like, we resist to receive the help we need from God and others. And it's an instinct we're born with, to hide, cover, and try to fix things on our own. Um, and this is a way of life we've inherited almost from, like, day one. So if you open up your Bible, uh, if you've ever read Genesis, you get into, like, chapters 3 and 4, you start reading about Adam and Eve. And they sinned, they sinned, they broke God's law. And what did they do the moment they realized it? Like they took some fruit, they ate it, they went and hid. They covered themselves. They tried to fix things to avoid judgment, to avoid being fully seen. We see it in little children to this day. Like if you've ever been around little kids, it's really interesting what happens when they know they've been caught. But uh, we have the story we tell in my family, my younger brother, um, he was selling candy bars for school, and he really wanted the candy bars, so he started eating them and hiding the wrappers under his bed. 
And one day we all found out. And, like, we laugh about it today, but I, what I was thinking about this week was, aren't we all kind of like that? <laughs> Hiding the candy wrappers under our bed when it comes to our sin? Um, haven't we all hidden our mess in varying ways? So, like, I think as we get to adults, we get a little better at it. But, uh, but we're still those little kids who are like, please don't see me. I don't want the truth of myself to come out. But when we confess to another person, we come out of hiding. We uncover ourselves, and we let others know the truth of who we are. Uh, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard classifies disciplines as either ways to abstain from things or ways to engage with them. And he considers confession as a discipline of engagement because we engage with ourselves, we engage with God, and we engage with others. And Willard describes it as an act of laying down the burden of hiding and pretending. And then he goes on to say, we must accept the fact that unconfessed sin is a special kind of burden or obstruction in the psychological as well as the physical realities of the believer's life. The discipline of confession removes that burden. Uh, Galatians 6.2, uh, in that cha- chapter, Paul calls us to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. That's the gift we get to be to each other. When I confess to another person, I'm releasing my burdens so that another person can help me. I can let them in. But it's more than about releasing a burden. Like, that's an important part, but that's not the totality. Because we've actually been missing this word that often gets uh, talked about when when we start having conversations about confession. Repentance. And this word repentance literally means to turn and go a different way. And I think this idea is going to challenge the next distortion in massive ways. So distortion number three, confession is just about relieving myself of the burden of my sin. Confession is meant to lead to repentance, to an embodied act of change where we turn and when we walked a different way. Uh, I love the book Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren, and she says this about confession and repentance. We are not simply individuals with our pet sins and private brokenness. We are people who, are, who desperately need each other if we are to seek Christ and walk in repentance. Uh, I was talking to a friend recently, and she's on TikTok a lot. I feel like I'm too old for TikTok, but uh, <laughs> somehow my mom's a really big TikTok fan, but I'm it skipped me. Um, but my friend was telling me about on TikTok, there's been this kind of phenomena the last year and a half where a bunch of medical uh, professionals, so doctors, nurses, hospital staff, are um, starting to receive people's confessions because some people are dying and their families aren't able to be there with them. And so these people are confessing, but it's not like, I wish I would have talked to my family more. Like, it's pretty deep stuff. And what they've discovered is a lot of people are confessing to murder on their deathbed. <laughs> and so, yeah, if you look it up, it's kind, of, it's kind of shocking. And so these people are unburdening themselves in their last moments of life. And while it's great that they can do that, they can feel unburdened, but, man, it makes me sad because instead of getting to live a different way, like to go through the process of forgiveness and restoration and repentance, it ended just with a confession. And we actually want to see people's lives transformed. That's why we're here. Not just to, like, tick the box on Sunday. We did the right thing. We, like, did our Jesus thing for the day. But we actually believe that the power of Jesus transforms lives. Uh, The word for healed in James 5 can also mean to be made whole. (sighs) 
And I love that vision. Because isn't that what we want, is to be made whole, to not live these broken lives? You know, um, for Bethany, the kind of vision we, we commit to across all of our locations is we are here to invite people to God, community, and wholeness. Because following Jesus isn't just about getting your ticket to heaven. As great as that may be, like, I think heaven's going to be awesome. But I actually think there's something for us here and now today. It's about the love of Christ transforming us and making us whole and inviting us into new life right now. 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 <laughs> like, in every single moment, that is the invitation. Sin breaks us apart. Like, we always talk about the, you know, the, the results of sin, the wages of sin or death. That's true. But I actually just think sin is bad for us. Sin leads to living broken painful lives. That's not what we want. But we are invited through Christ to be made whole and to live differently, to live in ways that bring life rather than ways that take it away. I always love uh, Peter's words to Jesus. Jesus at one point asks him, like, are you going to leave me too? Peter goes, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. (laughs) But it's true. He has the words of life and the way of life. That is why we follow him. So these are not a, a lot of nice and lovely ideas, right? You know, yeah, we, we should confess to each other. There's good things for us as we confess. We can be known. We can be held. We can be part of a community. But the question I always get frustrated with at the end of every sermon is, how do we do this, right? And you might be frustrated too. Like, yeah, that's great, Jen, but how do I live differently? How do we live lives that are transformed by the power of Jesus? Because it doesn't magically uh, mean turning off a sin switch. We probably all tried it. Like, you hear a really good sermon, you're like, all right, I'm going to be really nice to the people in my life. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to flip someone off on the freeway. I've never done that. I promise I've never done that. No. Um, (laughs) But we're like, I'm just going to try really hard to do this. And then a week later, we're like, all right, I'm still here. (laughs) So uh, this is the great desire to live differently. But most of us have grown up learning ways of life apart from God. And so part of this life of following Jesus is actually learning how to live with God and learning his ways. Like, that's what I love when we look at the life of Jesus. We see this is how you live. This is the way of life. We look at how he showed up here. It's a great blueprint for how we can show up in our daily lives. So learning this way of confession and repentance as a a normal way of life, there is something good and growing for us in that. And we don't learn it on our own. We learn it together in community with one another. So uh, I love the message translation of the Bible. I feel like every time I preach, you know there's going to be a message translation at some point. So this is the point in the sermon where Jen looks to the message. Um, But how it translates James James 5, I think, is just really beautifully worded. Um, Starting with verse 16, it says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Yes, amen, man. Um, I don't know if I always feel like my prayers uh, are something powerful to be reckoned with, but that is the truth. Uh, So how do we make this our common practice? How does this become a new rhythm of life? Not one of hiding, but a regular practice of bringing things into the light with God and others. Well, for anything we need to learn, we start with practice. 
Or uh, if you've been watching Ted Lasso training, apparently, like, you don't do practice, you train if you're in England. So, uh, which, you know, so we practice, we train. We try it out. We learn the process. We mess up. We try again. Confess. Receive forgiveness. Repent. Grow. Do it again. Uh, we learn it until it becomes normal part of our lives. But to do that, to practice this, we need to start getting specific. We need to get specific on how we need God and our community in the midst of our mess. Researchers have found that people feel freed up when they give a full confession, um, as opposed to those who are vague or partially confessed. They actually said, you'll feel worse about yourself if you give a partial confession than no confession at all. Um, but more than just feeling better, I mean, that's a nice idea, like, to be freed up. But Proverbs 28.13 says that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We need mercy. But it's hard to see how much we need God. It's humbling, right? It's uncomfortable. Uh, there's a moment in 2 Samuel 12, and David, who's king, and, you know, he's called a man after God's own heart. One night, he was hanging out. He saw a beautiful woman. And he took advantage of her sexually and then had her husband killed. It's pretty bad, right? And you go, how is this a man after God's own heart? And he kind of goes on, like, his merry way until Nathan shows up, Nathan the prophet. And Nathan, and the prophets have these great ways of, like, telling stories that engage us, and then they kind of pull out the rug from us. So he tells this story to David. There was a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had lots of livestock. That's how wealth often was measured back in those days, was how much cattle you had. And then you had a poor man who had one sheep. And he loved that sheep so much. He cherished it. Like, he slept with the sheep, like, in the hay. Like, he was devoted to this one sheep. And the rich man had a guest in town and wanted to, you know, throw a feast, like what you do when people are in town. And so instead of taking one of the many cattle he had, he goes to this man and takes his one sheep and kills it for his guest. And David, like, hears this and is like, well, this man should be put to death. And Nathan does the ultimate mic drop and says, that man is you. Whew right? Moments like that, when we realize we've sinned, they can be kind of apocalyptic. When we realize how deep our need is, how much we can't do it on our own, it feels like an apocalypse has broken into our world. I'm sure it did for David. And this word apocalypse, I've been fascinated with it lately. Um, because sometimes we can use that word to describe what we're going through right now. Um, but it actually means an unveiling or an uncovering. And I'm kind of fascinated by that. An unveiling or an uncovering of our lives. Here's the deal. Nothing changes until it's uncovered. How can we receive help if we don't first name that we actually need help? These apocalypses, these apocalyptic moments, reveal our need for God. So we're specific. But to be specific, it means we must be vulnerable. Oh, that darn V word. Um, means we have to come out of hiding. Earlier I mentioned Adam and Eve, who after sinning went into hiding. And we've been brought up in these ways similarly. Like we've learned 
you know, generation to generation, like, when I see my sin, I hide. I cover myself up. And that's, Adam and Eve literally covered their bodies with leaves so that the truth of themselves could not be revealed. Now, it didn't work. Like, God saw right through it, but that was the attempt. Like, oh, I have to do something about this because I don't want to see this, and I sure don't want God to see it, and I don't want anyone else to see this. Many years later, Jesus, who sometimes referred to as the new Adam, uh, because in some ways he, he came as a man, but he lived really differently than Adam and brought about where Adam's actions brought death through Jesus who were given life. So Jesus was nailed to a cross. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that Jesus bore our sins in his body. But in the midst of the collective weight of our sin, he didn't go into hiding. He didn't cover up. He's on display for all to see, like literally and figuratively. Hiding was never going to change anything. Hiding won't change us. The truth must be revealed so that we can be made whole. Isaiah 53, in prophesying about Jesus' death and resurrection, declares that by his wounds we have been healed. We are made whole. We don't have to go up on a cross for our sin. That's already been taken care of. But we are invited to come out of hiding and to receive God's forgiveness. So we get vulnerable. But to be vulnerable means we need to feel safe. Uh, I'm sure Brene Brown has tons of stuff to say about vulnerability and safety. You're welcome to look that up. But we don't feel free to be vulnerable unless we feel safe. Sadly, most of us carry stories of having our vulnerability taken advantage of. Maybe it was someone who shared what you told in secret. Maybe it was someone who judged your confession. Maybe it was someone who physically or mentally harmed you. Maybe it was someone who didn't listen, who took your pain and made it their own. Someone who didn't listen at all. Maybe this was in your family with a loved one. It may have even been in someone in church. And... I don't know how your vulnerability was taken advantage of, but I'm sorry that it was. I'm sorry that trust was abused, that power and uh, position was used for harm rather than good. And so my hope and prayer for all of us who've experienced this is for healing and that you would experience the safety that can only be be found in Jesus because no single person will be able to perfectly offer you safety like he can. And yet we can be hurt so badly when our safety is taken in, uh, advantage of. But Psalm 4.8 says that in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. We need the safety of Jesus in order to be vulnerable. So confession's always going to be a risk because we're confessing with other people who are messed up like us. So they might not show up the way we want them to. They might break our trust. Um, and if we're still healing, we're going to need to take this process of confession with others slowly. You know, it's not like this idea that, uh, you have to figure this out right now. So if this is your story, if your, your trust has been taken advantage of, if your vulnerability has when you've confessed with others, I had a friend who was recently sharing that her, her really good friends were broken quite a bit by confessions being taken advantage of. You know, if this is your story, don't practice this with the least safe person in your life, right? It's okay to take it slow. It's okay to find who's safe. What's a little risk I can make? 
Maybe it means starting with God only and just practicing confession there. Like, okay, God, you are my truest, safest place. Let me start here. And maybe if that's a safer place for you, maybe it's risking with a person who's welcomed your confidence and taking a small step into opening up. You don't need to, like, unload on them all in, like, one coffee hangout, right? They might thank you for not doing that, too. (laughs) Um, But maybe it's opening up in your group. If you're in a small group or a gathering group, those are great places to get honest, to confess to each other, to share what your need is of God in each other. So the invitation today isn't to master confession uh, with one another by next Sunday. I'm not going to, like, have, like, the microphone up and have us all go one at a time. Who did you confess to? How did it go? No, that's not... (laughs) I don't think that's realistic for anyone, and no one would be here, right? Um, But the invitation is to be in process and moving toward a rhythm of life marked by confession, forgiveness, receiving God's forgiveness, repentance, and vulnerability. To take the next step and allow a little more of the truth of yourself to come out of hiding. And to believe a little more that as the truth of yourself comes to be revealed in the the goods and the bads, that you are truly received by God and others. That's the invitation. So today I actually want us to practice um, confession together. Calm down. Again, you're not coming up here on a microphone. I actually think, uh, so after King David's realization uh, of his sin, he confessed. He repented. And if you read Psalm 51, this is his prayer of confession. So I thought, what better way for us to confess to each other than to read parts of Psalm 51 aloud as our prayer. Um, So if you'd stand with me. So I'm just going to own. This might be a little uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Um, And so if you feel comfortable, say these words out loud with me. And if not, that's okay. We, this is why we're here together. We're learning this. So sh- enter in as you need to enter in. But uh, we'll start by reading this first section from Psalm 51, 1 to 3. And this is our prayer of confession. Generous in love. If you want to read this out loud with me, it should be up. Oh, I think we got the wrong translation. But let's go with this. <laughs> Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. So just take a moment to reflect on what's your specific need? What's your specific areas uh, of sin, of brokenness that you need God and community to help you walk through? And now we're going to read, starting in verse 10. Just one more slide. Here we go. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And let's go to the next slide. We don't have it? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to pray this over us. God, make a fresh start in me, in all of us. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of our lives. Don't throw us out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in us, but bring us back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in our sails.
Amen.